Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Game Tea Podcast. My name is JP. I'm Zach. And I'm Zar. All right, so we're still in the middle of trying to combat the virus and just recording in our own individual homes. I gotta say, it's not going too bad. In fact, I'm kind of enjoying the solitude, to be honest with you. Perfect time to just catch up on some games, to be completely honest. 100% loving the free time. I would uh, second that. Definitely was challenging at first, figuring out how to make everything work. But now that we kind of got a system down, it's going a lot smoother than we started. Have you guys been able to catch up on any games that you've been meaning to play, but like just didn't have the time or anything like that? I know I've had a couple. Slightly, but been watching a lot of Bones. I haven't had the TV to myself for a while. (laughs) I have been catching up on some games. I'm excited to talk to you about one of them. It's my uh, foreshadowing for today. We're talking about a Shovel Knight for the games that I'm playing. And um, just forgot how good that game was. What about you, JP? What have you been playing? I've been playing lots of things. I've got a game that I'm playing right now, too, that I won't discuss until a little later. But uh, I finally finished Hollow Knight, which was an outstanding game. I mean, it was already an outstanding game, but it's just it's kind of long. So I never got around to finishing it. I beat the Shadow of the Colossus remake for the PlayStation 4. That was really awesome. So, yeah, I've had a little bit more free time. Obviously, I am an essential employee. So, you know, compared to you, Scrubs, I guess I just don't have all the free time in the world to play these games. I like how you're saying that when you have the most games done. Come on, JP. I'm an essential employee too. I've been working nonstop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as you recall us talking about last week, we've been uh, cutting up our normal news articles from the segment that we usually do. So the bulk of this episode is going to be our segment at the end, which is just talking about the games that we've been playing to get through this pandemic. But in the meantime, we actually did find a couple of interesting articles to just briefly go over before we get into that. Uh, What is this first one we're going over today, Zar? Well, we have a small PSA for everyone out there. Nintendo is telling everyone that they should not use alcohol to clean their switches. Alcohol and alcohol wipes on the Switch can be pretty detrimental to your gameplay. It is known to um, cause discoloration in your Joy-Cons, and it's not very uh, Switch friendly. Oh, is that it? It was a Joy-Con thing? I assume that it had something to do with, I don't know, the screen or the plastic maybe they used for the case. I don't know. But it is, is that the main reason? I'm sure over time it can actually like degrade the screen because alcohol is going to you know do that. It gets rid of lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's slowly, um, alcohol is not acidic, is it? It's, it's, is it basic? I mean, if you do it enough times, it's going to start to wear off, you know, wear out plastic and things like that. One or two times of it isn't crazy, but I work for a pharmacy. And if there's one thing that I have learned in the last month, it's that people are using way too much rubbing alcohol and hand sanitizer to scrub the living crap out of their thing. So uh, this isn't surprising that people have been doing this, trying to clean off their switch with alcohol wipes. So if you're not supposed to use alcohol wipes, what's the proper way to clean a screen like this, Zach? So the best thing you can do is honestly, I go to the dollar store and I buy like this $1 e-circuit cleaning solution and it's non-alcoholic. And all that does is it wipes off fingerprint smudges and any dust or whatever that was like staying on there and stuck on it. Right. Another thing you can do is just get one of those cans of cold compressed air and just gently blow into it how you're supposed to. And that'll clean out all the dust that gets inside your switch. Hmm. Other than that, your switch is a Nintendo product. So for the most part, it's pretty durable. If you just do that to take care of it, it should last a long time. That's true. This thing, you could buy one today and then 50 years from now, play it just like you could. (laughs) I feel like it depends on how you play. Like, I hardly ever have my Nintendo Switch out of the dock. You know, I know a lot of people love handheld mode, but to me, 90% of the time I'm on the Switch, it's in my TV. I'm hardly even touching the thing. The only exception is Animal Crossing in the morning so that I can, you know, get my daily dose of capitalism from Mr. Nook. (laughs) So yeah, that was just our big PSA for you guys. Please don't use alcohol products to clean your switch. You're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have a bad time. One other thing that we want to talk about is the new um, PS5 controller just got leaked from Sony. Or not leaked, just got shown off by Sony. 
JP, you're a big resident Sony guy. What are, what are your thoughts so far on it? So if you are listening and you haven't seen a picture of what's supposedly supposed to be the new PlayStation 5 controller, first of all, go check it out. Us describing it isn't going to do justice. It's the most we can do is give our commentary, but go check this thing out. It looks cool. It does look really cool. But when I first saw it, you know what I thought was, wow, this looks a lot like an Xbox 360 controller. That is 100% <laughs> my first thought. I, yeah, I, you know what? I know that we bicker sometimes about PlayStation versus Nintendo versus Xbox and all that. I will say, and I've never admitted this to you guys, I think of those three companies, PlayStation has the least comfortable controllers. I think they have the most, like, technically, with the touchpad, the coolest controllers. But... Oh, and the sound system built into the controller. It's pretty cool to hear your game in your hands. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a cool controller, but as far as, like, hand comfort, that's got to go to the Xbox One because those are some of the most comfortable controllers that I have ever held. And you know what? You can say the same thing about the Pro controllers for the Switch, but those aren't the standard controllers. You got to spend a little extra coin to nab those. So it's up in the air. But yeah, this controller, it's a lot more round. It's round like it reminds me exactly like an Xbox controller. The button layout is the same. You've got triangle, square, X, circle on the right side, your D-pad on the left, and your two thumbsticks. The touchpad in the center has more of kind of like this diagonal shape to it where it's going off in the edges, but the it looks like there's LED lights coming in on the side, whereas before it was on the top of the controller, I think that's a really cool feature. The black and white mixture they've got right now, the offsetting colors is really, really cool. But besides that, it doesn't really look like there's a ton of new features about the controller, except I have heard that there is a built-in mic, which I think is very cool. That's really smart if they did that. It's one of those things where like, I'm wondering why people weren't already doing that. The technology has been around for a while. You know, if you've got a speaker in there, why not have a mic too? Oh, 100%. I think they worry about picking up everyone just constantly clicking all their buttons and things like that, you know? Yeah. That could be an issue. So I, I imagine there's some sort of deafening technology in there or else that can get pretty annoying pretty quick. So I, I'm, I'm eager to see how uh, Sony has incorporated that. If that's going to be pretty seamless or if it's just going to be something that you use in like worst case emergency, you know? I think it's really cool. And you know how it usually goes with Sony too, where, you know, they'll release these versions of what their consoles or their controllers are supposed to look like. The honest truth is, I don't think this is going to be the final version of the controller. But I think if this is a look into like kind of concept they're going for, I like what I see so far. Do you guys agree with me on the sentiment that PlayStation usually has the least comfortable controllers? I don't know when the last time you held a PlayStation controller was. Oh yeah, I can easily get behind that. It looks a lot more comfortable in the hands than past playstation controllers yeah no definitely i just the two thumbsticks man just like mix i don't know if it's like got big thumbs or clunky thumbs it makes it really uncomfortable with like shooters and stuff in my opinion it's funny because you think that's the natural way to do things right is the two sticks right next to each other like parallel but it just doesn't feel right for some reason right. having the offset analogs that we're used to that i don't know if maybe it's just because that's what everybody's been doing since the dawn of video games but I, that's what's felt the most comfortable to me well it's funny because correct me if i'm wrong but i I believe nintendo had the one analog stick but then sony came in and introduced two analog sticks which is what we've had since uh xbox came into the game and then they were like okay here's the dual offset analog stick thing granted that was on the controller that was known as the duke the giant the giant controller that was just a monstrosity oh yeah the thing was a dinner plate in your lap <laughs> So PlayStation kind of pioneered the dual thumbstick and then Xbox finally came in revised. And I don't know if they had a patent on it or whatever. Sony stuck with that archaic design. I don't know. In my opinion, it's archaic, but I'm sure people who have lived with Sony their whole life, they're fine with it. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, just from the standpoint of fast paced games, I really don't like my uh, D-pad on top of the analog stick. I just feel like it fits better into the hand and it's a more natural shape for the thumb just to be erect basically <laughs> and then your other thumb has free motion for the buttons and generally you look around with the right stick so you would move your right thumb to look around and that doesn't feel as unnatural as having both thumbs basically horizontal to each other that's a great point but i don't think it was enough to justify using the word erect any chance i get to use the word erect 
is an automatic take it. <laughs> <laughs> Just think of your erect thumbs. Oh, that's nice. So I love what JP talked about the touch bar. They kind of made it bigger so it's easier to use. And they talk about the microphone, that's another thing. Another thing they're really focusing on this generation, it sounds like, is they're focusing on haptic feedback. So there's apparently like more intricate motors inside the controller. And I'm excited to see how that actually integrates with like the games and how immersive that really becomes. With the Switch, that was a big deal too. And I guess I never actually played one to Switch, but no one really uses the crazy, the HD rumble of the Nintendo Switch. So I'm curious as to how that's like more of a buzzword than it's actually gonna be something that's like used. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Switch's Joy-Con has the most advanced rumble technology that has ever been implemented into a gaming console ever ever it's violent i thought i was gonna have a seizure when that thing started <laughs> vibrating but the problem is it's underused i mean with with one two switch that was supposed to be like the big demo of what you can really do with the rumble of these joy cons and it was great but they haven't done a lot to implement that since right. i mean czar is right it's good rumble still but it's nothing special compared to the playstation 4 and the xbox you know it's all kind of in the same boat of Woo, rumbly. Right. And hey, Mario Party was kind of cool when you like flip the, uh, you flip the meat, I guess. You know what? You know what? That's, yeah, flip the meat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but you know the mini game I'm talking about. It's those, those party games are really what's really good for testing out what the Joy-Cons can do. Right. And, but yeah, so like, I'm curious to see like how Sony does it. Cause Sony kind of sounds like their big deal right now is audio and feedback. They're really working on the immersion. So I, I have a feeling that this is kind of a precursor to like VR is where they're headed, but we'll see. I'm hoping so. We aren't too far off and this thing's looking pretty futuristic. It is. All right, you guys ready to talk about games? Yeah, um, let's get into the games that we are playing this week. That's gonna be the main bulk of this episode. I'll go first. So Shovel Knight Treasure Trove is the game that I'm playing this week. Uh -huh. And I finally beat it. I bought that game back when the Switch launched because I had Zelda Breath of the Wild and then I had Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. And that was pretty much it um, until Mario Kart 8 came out later down the road. I think that just says to the people who make Shovel Knight, they have a Kickstarter and they're awesome. I don't know why I'm forgetting. So they um, released the game DLC Spectre of Torment exclusively for the switch for like a month it was right. like a time exclusive and i just fell in love it's like tony hawk's pro skater meets mega man that is an <laughs> odd combination <laughs> it sounds crazy yeah it sounds crazy but if you actually play the game you'll see what i mean you're um specter knight who's not any relation to shovel knight other than they both mm -hmm. have knight in the last name and um he basically rides his scythe on rails and so like you know like those sonic the hedgehog 2 moments where you like jump between rails yeah. And so it's very similar to that. Basically fast paced and like, it's not as hard as Celeste, but it's kind of like that kind of a platformer too. And um, there's a bunch of collectibles, a bunch of upgrades and guys, I can't, I can't. If you like 2D platformers, even remotely, like this is the next step of 2D platformers. Mm. I absolutely love Shovel Knight. Like they took it to the next level with this game. So what console was Shovel Knight originally on? Because this is just a port that was made as a quote-unquote launch title for the Switch, right? Well, so it was launch exclusive time DLC. It's kind of funny when you put it like that. So Shovel Knight was a Kickstarter that came out in 2013. It met all its goals. Right. And then in 2014, I believe it came to the Wii U. And then eventually it's, it's came to every, it's everywhere now. So you can play on the PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Switch. Mm -hmm. I say anything that started off on the Wii U, we're just like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a Switch game now. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Guys, I, I just really think you should definitely dabble in Shovel Knight. It's on sale for like 27 bucks right now, and you pretty much get four games. You get Shovel Knight the original, you get Spectre Knight, which is kind of mm. like second take. It's the weakest of the DLC. It's kind of like just doing Shovel Knight again, but as Plague Knight. And then you get Spectre Knight, mm -hmm. which is that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater thing I was describing. And then you finally, they released King of Cards, which came back in, I think it came out, I don't even know when it came out, February or something. Maybe it was last year, even last September. It just kind of fell under my radar because all the games were coming out for the Switch. So what's the art style of the game like? Very like SNES featured pixel art. Imagine Mega Man Zero, but more polished. Kind of how I could talk about it. Hmm. That's very, very cool. Yeah, it's a um, it's a beautiful game. So you play as Shovel Knight, who is your typical protagonist. He's trying to save the damsel in distress. Is that his name, Shovel Knight? He doesn't have, it's It's actually Benjamin. <laughs> no, it's just Shovel Knight. It's Shovel okay. Knight. It's a family name. <laughs> family name. <laughs> so Shovel Knight goes around, he goes through, and he conquers, I think it is eight cities, say eight um, levels, and then eventually gets the final boss, and boom, saves the damsel in distress. And yeah, that's Shovel Knight for you. 
the story sounds a little standard. Any twists or turns that are crazy. I mean, I know you don't want to give too many spoilers about the game. Is it pretty cut and dry? I mean, it's a it's a SNES style game, and it's not an RPG, so it's pretty cut and dry. There, I would say there's a twist in there, but nothing that you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But kind of like, oh, that's neat. So yeah. One of those. What is this game's rating? Is it like T? Oh, it's E for everyone. Oh, is it E? Yeah. I was going to say, like, rated M. Like, okay, now you got my attention. Yeah, so the story isn't really there. The King of Cards that came out, the expansion pack for it, he kind of has a more hilarious story. It's like how he goes around and pretty much conquers everyone to be a king. It's just hilarious. He's, like, Mm -hmm. dim-witted and just totally stupid. So, like, that's some pretty funny. Whenever you get to the text boxes for that, it's pretty fun. I get a good laugh. So games like this aren't usually played for much of the story, though. I mean, a lot of the spectacle with these games are usually about... The big thing is the art style, which you already said is fantastic. But the other big thing is usually the gameplay and, like, the game mechanics. So, like, how do those mix in with the game? Are those implemented pretty well? Yeah. No, they always... It just kind of felt like you could go faster the entire time. It was just so much fun to do that, to push yourself and see what you could do. So Shovel Knight uses his his shovel to bounce and they come up with so many interesting platform mechanics to when like you'll bounce higher sometimes, you'll slide. All these things that you think of with the 2D platformer they do. Right. But they reiterated it and mastered it and they've made it into ways to where like every single time you're playing their stage, it's a totally new, unique gimmick. And then it kind of all culminates at the end of the last stage yeah. where you use it all. And I mean, like you're sweating, like you're sweating going back and forth, trying mm-hmm. to go with all the stuff that you've learned. And it's a good time. And then there's like new game plus, which puts it on like a time limit. Yeah. And like you lose health as you go through. It doesn't like encourage you to like cheat the system, encourages you to like do some cool things. So. so it sounds like it's got some replay value too. Yeah, I could just keep going. And there's four different characters that you can play as. So what? You have all this replay inside your replay. So if you like a good bang for your buck, I mean, I cannot recommend Chillman enough, guys. So, you know, I actually, I wanted to ask about that because with all things that I know about you, this doesn't really seem like a game that you would pick up on a whim. What was it about the game that kind of attracted you towards playing it? Well, at the time, like I said, the Switch didn't have a lot going for it. So I was like, I've heard nothing but good things about Shovel Knight. And so it was on sale, I think back then before it was like 20 bucks. Wow, that's pretty good. But you didn't get all that DLC, did you? And so that's what really tended me as I said, and all future DLC comes with it. Oh, really? So that's why I got King of Cards for free. And so I was like, I got to play it. Mm-hmm. And they even included like a Super Smash Brothers style fighter in the final DLC pack. They just threw it in because they could. Mm-hmm. And so you can have Shovel Knight versus Enchantress, which is like the final boss versus Spectre Knight. Yeah. And like, they just threw a bunch of stuff in here because they could. Like, I mean, it's just a well-made game. You can tell people who made the game, we're like, we're going to make a fun game. Mm-hmm. We're not here to just nickel and dime you for all the cool stuff that we have. It's funny that you mentioned the uh, Smash Bros style thing earlier, actually, because this game is genuinely a hidden gem. No pun intended. Ah. Ah. <laughs> it's a hidden gem, really, amongst uh, Nintendo fans because a lot of people's favorite games usually include Shovel Knight, but still, there's not a lot of talk or circulation about the game. Just it's not talked about as much as it should be to the point where it was actually in a rumor that I was looking at. At one point, I believe that Shovel Knight was considered or rumored to be a Smash Bros. Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, there was some speculation hype for it. He didn't get that prestige, but he did end up being an assist trophy in Smash Bros. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's awesome. What does he do? What is it? He shovels people. Sorry. He digs them into the ground and beats them up. <laughs> that, that's it? And he beats them up. What do you mean that's it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zar. You don't get it, man. <laughs> Why don't you get your shovel, Zar? Let's see how you I don't do. have a shovel. Just shut up, man. All right, Zach, with all of that said, let's say you had to give the game a score out of 10. What would you give it? You know, I feel like keep giving games really high scores. That's true. That's true. You do. You're very generous. You're very generous. Well, you only play the games you like to play. I'm going to do it here, too. I'm going to give this game a 9 out of 10. I really like, other than story being kind of meh, I spent 20 bucks and got four games. Four really fun 2D platformers. Not a lot you can argue about that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to judge a $20 game a little differently than how I judge like a $60 full price AAA game. That's a totally true comparison. You know what? That's absolutely fair. I know I, I give games high scores lately, but like, I really mean it. Like, this is a 9 out of 10 game. You do, man. You came, especially the first time I asked you about like a score ranking, you came out swinging. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember it got a 10. 
I give it. I think I, I'm like, wow, a ten. What did I give a ten? I don't remember. Um, it was Xenoblade One, I thought, or no, it was The Witcher. Okay, but that's The Witcher. The Witcher is definitely a ten. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. That might be worthy of a ten. Well, it got a it got a perfect score on so many critic sites. Game of the year 2015. What? What? Then you know what? That is absolutely totally fair. All right, so yeah, even though I may be generous, it comes because I play good games. I ain't got time for this bullshit these days. You know what I mean? I need good games. <laughs> well, you know what? You're not living unless you play a game that you hate. Because what's that saying? You can't appreciate the sunny days without a few rainy ones. I played 06 Sonic. I feel like I've had enough rainy days. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're a Sonic fan, you've suffered enough. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's my, uh, my thoughts on Shovel Knight. Please pick it up while it's on sale, guys. I can't recommend it enough. How long is that sale going on for? Gosh, I think it's still like the 27th of April, but I'm not for sure on that one. So pick it up soon. Hell, we'll put this out before then. Yeah, absolutely. You can check that out if you'd like. If not, it's totally worth it full price. Go get it. What usually is the full price? I think it's 40 bucks now with all the DLC included. That's still not bad. That's still under AAA title. If it's chocked full of all that content, then yeah. I mean, a $40 price tag is justifiable. $10 a game. Least. Right. Plus, you get Smash Bros. thrown in there for funsies. All right. Czar, I believe it is your turn. Czar, what is your game to talk about this week? Well, speaking of game bundles, I have recently picked up Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5 Final Mix. <laughs> yeah, it's a big title. It always, that's the funny thing with Kingdom Hearts games is they always make those big long weird titles for their games it's well let me tell you what all comes in this game because it's gonna be a mouthful oh god so we got kingdom hearts 1.5 final mix okay and kingdom hearts 1.5 final mix is kingdom hearts just in hd right or they add some stuff yeah it's just kingdom hearts 1 in hd with a couple added cutscenes. like if you beat a secret boss at the olympus coliseum you get a cutscene. oh that okay. wasn't in the original game Let's... okay that's what those decimal points are for really like when it says 1.5 it's kingdom hearts one with some extra stuff that they did when they brought it over to the playstation 4 yeah no extra explanation or any hints dropped at the end of the game just some minor things thrown in um what's also included is kingdom hearts re chain of memories mm -hmm. kingdom hearts uh 358 two days i think that's how you say that it's actually it's People say 358 over two days, but it doesn't matter. People don't know what we're talking about. Oh, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. <laughs> but, and I think that, isn't that just cutscenes? Because um, it, it yeah. says HD remastered cinematics. Yep, that's true. Because that, uh, yeah, that's just the cutscenes from the game, just to kind of get you up to speed with the story. Ah. But it's not actually playable. It's just the cutscenes. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, already got a game done. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, we also have Kingdom Hearts 2.5 Final Mix, which is the second installation. Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep Final Mix and Kingdom Hearts RE Coded HD Remastered Cinematics, which basically I think sums up the second game and its spinoff in cinematic form. Mm -hmm. So the annoying thing about Kingdom Hearts in general, <laughs> the annoying thing like, Kingdom Hearts in general is an annoying game franchise all around. And it's one of my favorite franchises, so I can say that. But Oh yeah, everybody loves Kingdom Hearts, but everybody also complains about how annoying it is. It is, it's very annoying. But you know what I always found the most annoying was all almost all those games you just listed off, Czar, were on different consoles. Compl each one on a different console. One and two was PlayStation. Chain of Memories was DS, Nintendo DS, and I have no idea what. 358 over two days was Nintendo 3DS. I think that one was PSP. No, Birth by Sleep was PSP. Yeah, B Birth by Sleep was PSP. But you see, that's the annoying thing about Kingdom Hearts is all of these consoles you have to buy just to play the stupid games and understand what's going on. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Each and every game is critical to the next game's story mm -hmm. for whatever reason, even if it's just minor character introductions. Although Chain of Memories was as annoying as it is, is 
absolutely essential to the series because it introduces the new bad guys and uh-huh. the new ally. I don't want to give too much away because I know there's a lot of fans out there that would kill me for spoilers. The game's been out for years. Well, yeah, but now everybody gets a chance to play all of the games back to back. Like you don't have to have multiple consoles. You can all just load up the same game on one console and just go through all the story. You know what? That's a fair point. So I got like two comments here. I got I got two, okay? So is there no dream drop distance? That is on Kingdom Hearts 2.8 Final Mix, which <laughs> includes three games <laughs> that lead rub- up to Kingdom Hearts Zach 3. is rubbing his eyes. Yeah, I know. It's annoying. <laughs> Okay, that was my that was my question. Thanks for answering that. And secondly, when you say crucial to the story, the story is still a shit show regardless, isn't it? Oh yeah, even if you play all the games and like write detailed notes and have a conspiracy hideout den, you'll still never know what the hell's going all right, on. All right, he's right. So he's absolutely. Right. I guess we're kind of we're jumping the gun here. So. You want to fill us in on the story, and then we'll kind of come back to the other things in a second. Are you going over the, like, package altogether as a whole? Or are you going over one game? I'm going to kind of do the package as a whole, but I've only made it through one and a half of the game, so I'll talk a little bit heavier on those. Okay. And kind of try to relate them somehow to Kingdom Hearts 3, I guess. Sure. I mean, Square Enix couldn't even connect the games to Kingdom Hearts 3, so we'll see how good I can do. (laughs) All right, Zara, I'm ready. I've got a piece of notebook and paper, and I think I'm ready to try. (laughs) All right, Zach, get ready for a wild ride. So essentially, at the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 1, you start by seeing the kingdom, Kingdom Disney, as it's called. Which I'd like to say doesn't make sense because all of the other worlds are Disney. Disney worlds, but they're not connected to the Disney castle world. That is correct. That makes sense. And essentially all of these different worlds have never in the history been connected before until you find out later, but that's that's not part of this game. That's part of Kingdom Hearts 3. So once a certain person discovers the nature of the Heartless and starts experimenting on them like a dick, all of a sudden all of these worlds shatter into pieces and become connected and you can travel to each world buy other destroyed world parts, which are called gummy pieces that you put into a ship to fly to those worlds. So my ship is destroyed worlds? Yeah, your ship is dead Disney. Wow. So Donald and Goofy, the big shots in the Disney castle, go to talk to King Mickey at the beginning of the game, only to find that he's not there. So they go off and try to find him. And then that cuts to Sora on the Destiny Islands, and him, Riku, and Kairi long for a new life. And in fact, they are in the process of building a raft to try to discover new worlds. This is what I remember Being so dumb kids, they, mm. they can't understand that traveling the ocean means you're gonna go into outer space. That is, yeah, that is not what I would think would happen. <laughs> But that's what they're doing. Then all of a sudden they find some big, bad, scary dude on their island. He opens a door and the three main protagonists get sucked into a new world, which you start off in Traverse Town after that. Mm -hmm. And that's where Sora meets the other heroes of the game, Donald and Goofy. And after a long tutorial, (laughs) yeah, you finally get Gooby. Gooby. Gooby, please join my team. I don't need this tutorial. I know how to jump and whack things. Gooby. It's Gooby. Yeah, it's Gooby. I thought you were saying Gooby. I am saying Gooby. Gooby. Don't you remember that meme from a few years ago? No, I feel like a fool right now. I fly a boo boo the (laughs) fool. Gooby, please. Gooby. Anyway, (laughs) keep going. And yeah, so you join forces with Donald and Goofy and you try to figure out where King Mickey is and also where Sora's friends, Kyrie and Riku are. Mm-hmm. And through that, you discover a lot about the Heartless and someone else puppeteering the Heartless, which basically is about all you learn from the first game. You find two of your, you actually do find your friends but it, not everything is quite as it seems, knowing that it's Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. And that's all just the first game, right? Yeah, that's just a, a basic summation of the first game. There's a lot of other detail, and I nearly 100%ed it. Well, I'm lost, so let's talk. Um, let's talk. Oh, and you only you <laughs> that, only got a piece of the pie, dude. That that's is, just the first you know, Somehow, eight-year-old <laughs> me beat Kingdom Hearts 1. I, I don't remember any of this. I just know Sora was pretty cool. 
That's all I remember. Yeah, Sora is pretty cool. Do you want to go into characters? The thing about Kingdom Hearts, it's like Zara was saying. There's so many games, and it's so the story is so convoluted that for people who try and get into the series this late in the game, it's intimidating. Yeah, I started with Kingdom Hearts 3. Not going to lie, I picked oh, Kingdom really? Hearts 3 up. Yeah, like right after it came out, because I was really excited that the Xbox was finally going to see the Kingdom Hearts yeah. series, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Didn't know what was going yeah, on. I was gonna say you're probably a little lost but they do make the story simple enough to know what you need to know you know bad guys versus good guys and this is the overall outcome the other minor details about the relationships between the characters and how the worlds happen to connect with each other that's all the minor stuff but yeah i got into it after kingdom hearts 3 so i wanted to go back and play the entire series right so i think zach asked you more about the uh, characters in the game yeah so the main character of the series which a lot of people would argue but i'm not going to get into that shenanigan is <laughs> sora mm -hmm. and sora is the second key holder's choice so the keyblade chooses its masters and it had an original character in the game that it wanted to choose but due to impurity of heart decided to choose sora who was the weaker of the characters who you play so you play as a weekly Okay, yes. Yeah, you, you play as a little bitch. <laughs> 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 then there's Donald, who is the Quartz Magician. So apparently, I, I like to refer to him as the Jester for King Mickey. Other than that, you got Goofy, who is the Captain of the Guard, which I don't know why anybody would make that clumsy oaf the captain of an army. <laughs> he's your tanky boy, right? He is a tanky boy. Man, He's he hides behind a shield, but he kicks butt. And those are the main characters. And I could talk for days about the side So everyone else is like a Disney uh, spinoff or a Final Fantasy spinoff, right? It's the pretty yes, much everyone yes. ever has pretty much been in at this point. The only yes. exception to that is Kyrie and Riku, Sora's friends, and Kingdom Hearts also includes some Final Fantasy characters? Yes, I don't quite remember their names, but there are four people in Traverse Town. One of them's name is Sid, there's Leon who has a gun keyblade. Leon's Final Fantasy. Eight, I think. Yep, that's correct. Yes, they're Final Fantasy VIII. And man, I am kicking myself right now because I cannot think of the other two, but one of them is from Final Fantasy VII. It's actually uh, Cloud and Yuffie. Yuffie, that's who I was thinking from Traverse Town. Yuffie's from JP's Final like, Fantasy VII. I got this game on lock, come on. I've been playing King <laughs> I've been playing Kingdom Hearts for such a long time. I, I know, I know. But you know what? So I'm probably butchering this for you. <laughs> no, it's not. You're JP's doing a shed very... like three tears since you started talking. Sorry. <laughs> I can't believe you forgot this. Oh, God. Time to break out the good whiskey. <laughs> Where's Tifa? I love Tifa. You're damn right I love Tifa. Yes, as JP mentioned, Cloud is in the game and plays a semi-critical part of the game. Mm -hmm. There is also a cameo of Sephiroth in both games, Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. That is true. So that's pretty cool. And he's the main boss in 7, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the Koopos. The Koopos are there too. They sell you stuff. Are they called Moogles? I think that I think they just call people Koopo. Maybe. Yeah, I think they, yeah. They start out and end each sentence with Koopo. I love them. But they are They're the so Moogles or something. They're yeah. so Adorable. fuzzy. They're good product placements. So Zar, when I was going through Kingdom Hearts, the big thing that always blew me away with each title was always the art style. What did you think of that? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. With the final mix, they remastered all of the graphics mm -hmm. and they are damn near about as good as Kingdom Hearts 3. And I mean, obviously, since they are uh, Disney characters and it's a very cartoony style game, the, it doesn't look realistic, but damn, they look shiny. It's okay. Not every game has to look realistic. You just want that timeless Disney magic in there. Oh yeah, and it is. In the first game, you go from places like Atlantis to Halloween Town, which is my personal favorite. Arugaba, Arugula, something. Aladdin's world, essentially. Ag Agrabah? Agrabah. Agrabah. That's what it is. Agrabah. Hula <laughs> <laughs> Hula. 
<laughs> so besides the uh, art style, the thing I always loved about Kingdom Hearts is also the fighting in that game is always great. What did you think? It is very fast paced and I love the aerial style of most of it. At first, you know, your jump is pitiful and you can't hold a candle to most basketball players. But by the end of it, you fly. There is a skill where you can glide yep. just normally to reach areas. Mm -hmm. And you implement all of that in a combo style fighting game. So you, as you progress and level up, you can unlock things like Strike Raid, where you throw your Keyblade or Ooh, other yeah. type combo moves where you can keep building to do extra damage as long as you push the right buttons, which I really like. It's a lot of memorization. Mm -hmm. I think it's super cool. Kingdom Hearts, I mean, it's a controversial game in its own right because of how convoluted the story is and all of that. But any person who usually has something negative to say has to admit that the combat is usually a lot of fun. With the exception being Chain of Memories, which was oh, the biggest yeah. mistake in the Kingdom Hearts series. What's wrong oh, with that game? Yeah. What did it do? What did it do wrong? Well, for starters, I, I would like to say something good about it because I love how they included it in the bundle and made it a story narrative. So instead of the top-down style like the DS implemented, it is exactly the same graphics and cinematic style as the first and second games, even with some voice acting, which gets a little awkward because you play the first game, you hear Sora and he sounds like a 10-year-old boy. Then you play Chain of Memories and Sora sounds like a 30 year old hmm. <laughs> because the voice actor after decades finally decided that they could put his voice into the game that was originally a portable title mm -hmm. which I find really cool but what I hate about this game is it tries to stay true to the combat of the uh, main titles but instead turns it into a card game yeah it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty absolutely god awful yeah so with the exception of Chain of Memories though for the most part Kingdom Hearts has great combat other uh, other than that awful mistake of a game, yeah, Kingdom Hearts combat is just fantastic. But yeah, if you don't think that sounds bad, here, here's what you got. You got to do all your fancy jumps, glides, aerial combat, and combos, but you are limited to how many cards you hold in your hand. And so you've got essentially three types of cards. You have attack, magic, and item. The attack cards show different keyblades. Since Chain of Memories is kind of a re-examination of the memories that Sora has from the first game, all of your attack cards are based on those keyblades that you accumulate from the first game. And those each have a different numerical value, one through nine, zero through nine, I should say. And each keyblade does a different amount of damage, has a different recovery rate, has a different reach, even though when you actually fight with them, you still just have the original kingdom key. Mm -hmm. Then you have magic cards, which are your magic spells from the first game, all same different zero to nine card values. Whoever plays the highest card value ends up getting to attack. The other person gets a card break and they get stunned for a second. And then the item cards are basically things to to reshuffle your deck, reset the counter to reload your deck, and even buff your player a little bit. Wow. And you have to, yeah, you have to use all of these cards and string them together to create combos in the middle of a fast-paced combat environment. So you got enemies attacking you. You can't afford to just like look through your deck and you're like, okay, I want a seven and I want a four and I want a five all put together. You just have to have them. That, you know how I know that is the dumbest most convoluted fighting style I've ever heard in my life. I've beaten the fucking game. You completely lost me. <laughs> right? I have no idea what you're talking about anymore. I was, I'm totally lost. I'm just like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've beaten the game and I'm like, what the fuck? What did I just do? <laughs> oh my. And it even gets more intricate than that. Okay, so to kind of reel it in here because you just wanted to talk about Kingdom Hearts 1 a little bit, right? Those were the two games I've played thus far. I'm stuck currently on Chain of Memories because because it is a bitch in three quarters. Yeah, they took the one thing that Kingdom Hearts undoubtedly had and they ruined it. I mean, don't get me wrong. If it was like us three sitting down at a kitchen table, I would love to play this card game. This card game sounds fun. But while battling Heartless. But not if I'm playing not... a fast paced game. Yeah, absolutely. Other than that, the gameplay and game mechanics of Kingdom Hearts is great. I love the treasure seeking and, you know, you see a treasure chest that's up really high and you really kick yourself because you, 
you just think that there's a way to get it right now, mm -hmm. but you have to come back later when you learn how to jump higher or glide through the air. And I think that's really cool because I am meticulous when it comes to these games with collectibles. I just want 100% them. Right. So I absolutely love that. So the only one of the uh, games that you've beaten out of the six out of the yeah out of the six games technically four because two of them are cutscenes. yeah that's true because okay, so you're almost halfway there right i know that excites me <laughs> so if you had to give kingdom hearts one a score since that's the only one you've beaten so far out of the bunch what would you give it kingdom hearts one i would probably have to give a 9.5 really Wow, a yeah. five out of 10. That's very, that's awesome. It's a remaster. Well, I guess I wouldn't even call it a remaster. I'd call it a remake. Some of the bosses were a little frustrating. You have to really know strategies, but that's what I like. That's what I loved about even Legend of Zelda games, you know, taking it into the strategy. Absolutely. It's not just about swinging your stick as fast as you can and coming out victorious. Mm. You got to know what you're doing, attacked. mixing magic items and, and attacks. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. <laughs> I swing fast. Yeah, what kind of what kind of dumb jerk would like a game like that? <laughs> I don't know. Zach, are you? I mean, don't get me Zach, don't get me crying? wrong. No, <laughs> it's fine. If you want to play Kingdom Hearts like a button masher, you absolutely can. You can just wield the biggest shtick and swing hardest. That's true. That's true. But there is also a level of finesse that you can add to the game if you so please. That's true. Big sword smash now. Although I give Kingdom Hearts 1 a 9.5, I would give the overall bundle a perfect 10 out of 10. Think so, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, you get essentially six titles of content for one price and the mobile titles for the Nintendo DS and PlayStation PSP, you get those remade and in a cinematic style that's easy to digest. Hmm. So you can feel immersed into the story, even if the game is kind of shitty, like Chain of <laughs> Memories. Absolutely. Graphics are amazing. The voice acting is really cool. And you didn't even mention the music. And I, I think that's a big selling point of Kingdom Hearts, oh, too. Oh, man, how did I forget the music? That's the a The music great point. is, oh, it's hypnotic. They have a fire. It, the music score is so beautiful. And, I mean, knowing that this is half Disney game, mm -hmm. you would imagine that Disney would spare no expense when they put their name on something. Yeah, Disney's not going to let you say it's got Disney stuff in it unless it's top shelf stuff. And the music in Kingdom this Hearts is, is phenomenal. This is top shelf stuff. Love everything about Kingdom Hearts. Pick it up. Mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, the bundle's been out for a while now, so you can get it for pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, I think I got it for 30 bucks. 30 bucks for four games? That's a good fucking deal. But speaking of characters in multiple games... Is it my turn? It is your turn. Oh my god, you guys. <laughs> okay. Yeah, JP, what are you playing I've, this week, buddy? I've got a very, very special game that I'm playing this week. I am playing the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is a huge coincidence because half of those characters from Final Fantasy that Zar just mentioned originated in this, the original Final Fantasy VII game that I believe came out in 1997. I want to say. Sounds right. But within the last week, they made a remake of the game and put it on the PlayStation 4, and that is what I've been playing. So how do I segue a joke into uh, Cloud getting his own game? <laughs> <laughs> Even that guy from uh, Smash Bros. finally got his own game, JP? Oh my God, shut up. Yeah, Cloud from Kingdom Hearts finally gets his own spotlight. <laughs> He's been featured in everything. you think he'd have his own game by now. Anyway. <laughs> so why are you interested in this game, JP? What kind of store do you, what kind of put you in there? That's a really good question question final fantasy is kind of like kingdom hearts in the fact that there's a lot of titles for the game out and so trying to get into it this late in the game i assumed was going to be a little bit of a challenge but i heard that they're this up to what like 17 now i think they're working on 16 but then there's also 10 and 10 too yeah and plus and there's spinoffs for all these games too there's i don't know what it is with these japanese games but there's got to be a dancing rhythm game for all of these like persona did that a lot oh my god i remember a final fantasy dance dance <laughs> revolution at my local arcade yes, yes that I is a thing i have forgotten that about that for years it's like it's almost ironic that their title is final fantasy when we're 17 games in plus right 
Well, there's an interesting story about that. The original Final Fantasy, I learned the uh, gaming company who made Final Fantasy, or not just the gaming company, but the man who made the game, he thought it was going to be the last game he was ever going to make because his uh, studio was starting to get under. So he made Final Fantasy, the original one for the NES. And it did so well that it ironically exploded and then it's going fantastic now right <laughs> we're on final fantasy 15 that's what's right. been happening so that's kind of where we are so why was i interested in playing final fantasy 7 because i learned that unlike kingdom hearts there may be 15 to 20 different titles in the final fantasy lineup but the games aren't connected at all they take place in the same world, but none of the characters like know each other. They happen in, huh. wait, yeah, that's, yeah, that surprised me when I learned that. I just learned that and that surprised me. I thought there was some loose story that connected all of the games together. There's common themes in the world, but I mean, from what I understand, each game is about a completely different set of characters. Some may have cameos in other games, but ultimately you can start from anywhere and be plopped into this new game and have a good time without knowing what's going on because none of the games are connected. So that was why I was interested in this game because I've always wanted to play Final Fantasy, never had the opportunity because I was intimidated. I learned that piece of information right about the time that I learned this beautiful remake of the most popular Final Fantasy title was coming out. And I was like, hey, I'm stuck inside and Animal Crossing, I hate to admit it, is starting to get a little stale. Why don't I get something else? And that's what kind of made me pick up the game. So I love how you mentioned that to like get people less scared from these games because they're kind of their own little beast so the big thing right here is jp how are the graphics for this new game this new reimagining well that's honestly the big thing is uh you know you have this night the 1997 the original game that the remake is based off of super blocky pixelated characters pixelated world but what else can you expect for the time being this time around though the characters all look beautiful the world looks beautiful the art style is that classic japanese anime game that honestly final fantasy in its own right kind of coin so you know just using its own roots you have a really graphically phenomenal looking game in fact Plus it, chocobos those the chocobos <laughs> the big the big giant yellow birds that you use as horses in that game they're they're looking good they're looking good big bird style right <laughs> the game looks beautiful to the point where you almost forget you're playing a game have you ever had that before where something's so amazing you're just like forget you're playing a game another nintendo gamer so no <laughs> says it. my only gripe with the graphics at all is there is a lot visually going on in final fantasy 7 remake all the time so if you look at textures in the world around you you notice some quality drops pretty often the characters always look beautiful how far is your range of visual then you have a decent field of vision but i mean if you approach a door that you have to move it's pretty clear that there's a huge texture drop there that was the first time i noticed it was like 20 minutes in the game a door that i had to open just cloud is just this super detailed beautiful man i'm not afraid to say it <laughs> oh my god his sword oh my god that man, that man. <laughs> and he's so mysterious that's what i like it <laughs> anyway well you know what they say about a guy with a big sword actually no <laughs> i'll let you find big that sheep. one out <laughs> <laughs> i'll google it later <laughs> turn off your safe search <laughs> No, and <laughs> turn off your safe search and go to the images right away. AMT podcast is not the worst action. Please don't do it. I do. The rest of them don't. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's my only gripe with the art style is you have a noticeable t uh, drop in texture from now and again. Great. Aren't the backgrounds like of the city of the macro reactor? I think I'm saying that right. I just you are. That's so neat. Aren't they like all like still images? They are, but I mean, they're off enough in the distance to where, like, obviously in a game, the farther something is away, the less detail you need to put into it. Things in the distance, like the sky and the city, if you're off in a distance, those still look beautiful. It's just when you get up close to something, you can notice that texture drop. <clears throat> oh my god, this coronavirus is hitting me hard, boys. It's not funny, JP. It's not funny, man. <laughs> I should be safe. I'm triggered. I need my safe space. <laughs> I, I'm cleaning my mic with alcohol. So that's it for the graphics. The characters. Czar mentioned a few of them because they do show up in uh, Kingdom Hearts. So you play as a guy named Cloud, who in this world became a soldier for 
basically this huge city and then kind of went AWOL after he saw how corrupt they were and now works as a mercenary. But the way they treat soldiers in the game is they get infused with this Mako, which is kind of like you harvest it from the earth. It's kind of like they refer to it as the lifeblood, but it's gives you super strength basically super strength and like whatever they pumped captain america full of they're doing the same thing to these soldiers and cloud was one of those people so he is just this badass with a huge sword and was hired as a mercenary at the beginning of the game by this group of people that know that extracting the mako avalanche and then it's like a terrorist group so yeah there's uh there's this group that hires cloud called avalanche and essentially their thing is they know that this Mako or this Mako that's being extracted from the earth is actually damaging the earth when you extract it. So they're trying to blow up all 13 of the reactors in the city so that they can't extract the Mako anymore. And they hired Cloud to basically be their muscles while they try and get through these hordes of monsters so that they can do that but over time the group grows to like cloud more cloud grows to like the group more and they all become buddy buddy when you're just walking around the city you only play as cloud he's your one main character but so far i've seen that there are four or three other main characters that are fighters you have tifa who is your childhood friend who is a part of Avalanche trying to stop the Mako reactors. You have Aerith, who you run into at the very beginning of the game, and then you kind of meet up with her again mid-game. And finally, you have Barrett. Barrett is the leader of Avalanche, and he he's the one who's hesitant at the beginning about hiring you. He's this big, badass guy with a gun for an arm who cares about the earth he's an environmentalist and he's the one who's leading. he's got a gun for an arm and he cares about the planet yeah i know right <laughs> it's like gonna protect it? shoot. it's like it's really funny because it's this big bass guy but he just goes on and on about mako's destroying the earth and everyone's like ah okay like, <laughs> i'll sign your petition damn <laughs> So he's the leader of Avalanche. Those are the four main characters that you get to play as. Then you've got some more side characters. Um, you have this guy named Wedge. He's an Avalanche. He's hysterical. He's another fighter. What I really love about Final Fantasy VII is all of these characters are interesting. You know, Cloud especially being the main character is super interesting. But even the side characters, everyone's got good motivations. Everybody's got an interesting story. I just, that's something I really love about the game so far is all of the characters are so interesting and you really actually grow to care about all of them as the game progresses all right so you went over the story the gameplay is something that i feel like in the game mechanics and that people kind of were up in arms about so it, yeah isn't it a little bit different from the original yes that's if anything has changed the most that's definitely the biggest thing is the gameplay and the game mechanics so essentially but the original final fantasy 7 was a turn-based RPG. And for those that don't know, think Pokemon, where basically you get into a battle with someone and then you've got someone standing on the left and someone standing on the right. And then you pick an attack from a list of attacks and then you attack them and then they attack you and then that's the end of the turn. And then you do the next turn and you can use the, you can use an item if you want or magic. It's like Pokemon essentially, just like any other RPG. This time around, the biggest thing that they have changed in this remake that just came out last week is that it's not like that anymore. The fighting is more like a Dark Souls-esque fighting where you're flinging your sword around, you're rolling around, you're dodging, you're blocking things in real time instead of like on this turn-based system. The combat is phenomenal in the game. It's really fluid, it's really fun between all of the characters. So like those four main fighter, fighting characters you have are Cloud, Barret, Tifa, and Aerith, and they each specialize in a different thing. And when you're in battle, you can actually switch between those four, depending on what it is you want to do. So like Cloud's got a big sword and he's good at swinging it. So he's like your up close guy. Tifa's kind of the same way. Aerith is really good with like her magic attack. So if you need someone who's great with magic, you choose Aerith. And then Barret is just, you know, shooting his gun and yelling about the environment he's a good guy he's a good guy sign my petition <laughs> save the planet ah, okay okay man just <laughs> so yeah um that's been the biggest change compared to the original final fantasy is the way that you fight in the game but do I they prefer... fight independently when you're not controlling them yes they do but they're kind of useless 
<laughs> like, you know, my favorite person to control is Cloud because he's my main boy right now, and I love his fighting and his sword. But I kind of watched some of the other characters, like if you're not controlling them, what they do, and they're kind of just looking around, you know, like, ooh, a butterfly, or just like <laughs> every once in a while they'll throw a few attacks out, but they're kind of just doing their own thing, and they'll like build up their magic points and no, none of them are using it. They can cure me if they want, but they're just not doing it because they're too busy looking around. That's one of my only complaints is I think that if you're not controlling the characters, they're a little useless. But you know what? It's a minor thing because you're doing the bulk of the work, whoever you decide to play as anyway. So that's kind of typical RPGs. It's hard to get good AI and RPGs without trivializing the content. So yeah, I, oh yeah, because it's know. easy to make the game a, a walk in the park if you're companions you know are kicking butt yeah that's absolutely true so other than that the fighting is fantastic it's a little bit button mashy where like if you're cloud or whoever you press x but with cloud you can switch it up every character has their normal x attack and then there's a triangle attack which is more of like a specialized attack that you should use at more strategic times and then everybody has magic attacks that they can use it's the fighting is really really fun and you know what it's actually a little bit challenging too i haven't died a lot in the game yet but I've had a few people that have given me a run for my money. And I heard you can find a favorite item. Like, I don't know, everyone like loves Cloud's Buster Sword. You're going to get an upgrade that kind of like is better than the Buster Sword, but you're actually able to enhance your like favorite weapon and make it just as competitive as others. Yeah, that is 100% right, actually, because that for a lot of RPGs, that's kind of a big criticism that they receive a lot of the time. Kingdom Hearts is actually pretty bad at this, where, you know, once you get a weapon, whatever the stats are of that weapon, if it stays those stats, you're just going to find something stronger anyway. In Kingdom Hearts 3, you were actually allowed to upgrade your Keyblades that you get to like stronger forms. And that was really smart because it means that weapons that you got previously continue to be useful useful to you. You're absolutely right. Final Fantasy 7 is the same way where, you know, the Buster Sword is the weapon that Cloud starts off with. And I've gotten four other weapons with good stats, but I can keep upgrading the Buster Sword so that if I wanted to keep using that, I absolutely can. Something I value is choice. And God, once you find that like one sword that like either suits your play style or just looks dope, you're like, oh, I want to rock this. So I'm glad that's a choice in the game. And the Buster Sword is so iconic for Cloud's look too, that you're just like, oh man, I don't even want to use anything else. It looks, it looks so good. A few other key points. So they remastered a lot of the music, but what I fucking love about the game is they also include a lot of the old-fashioned tracks from the 1997 version that you can like pick up along the way so you can get those old school like original tracks but they also remastered everything for the game which is in there so you kind of get a blast from the past and like these big orchestral pieces of the music at the same time and it, it just sounds so good Something else that really surprised me about the game too was the different kinds of settings. I don't want to give away too much because it is still a pretty recent game and I would love for people to get out there and play it because I definitely think it's worth the $60 price tag. But the different settings and the different things that you get to see and do, it just all turned out so good. It's just one of those products that's really as good as the sum of its parts. And in most of these categories, Final Fantasy VII Remake just nails it. Why do you think specifically they chose VII to remake? So that's a great question people who have been playing final fantasy for years they all have their favorite final fantasy and it's actually if you go online and look it up it's a really interesting conversation but most of them can universally agree that final fantasy 7 was at least in their top three if not their absolutely favorite final fantasy game mostly because just the way the world and the characters came together was just phenomenal that's really why i think they chose seven interesting honestly cloud is probably the most iconic final fantasy character too well, yeah, I it was, can't even it's think a no-brainer any other final fantasy character except for cloud it's it's that big sword have you done the chocobo races i have not done the chocobo <laughs> races yet, but trust me i'm very excited you gotta do them to get the best weapon i've heard mm -hmm. oh i'm gonna do it don't you worry <laughs> And yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on Final Fantasy VII, the remake. It's still a very new title, so it's still got that $60 price tag on it. But if you own a PlayStation 4, by the time this is all said and done, I mean, this is probably going to be a 200-hour 
playthrough game. I'd say that's worth a $60 price tag. Absolutely. The only thing, the only warning I do want to give to people before they hop into that is it's one of those games that are released in like chapters, kind of like, you know, a Telltale game or whatever. See, I thought that's what the thing was, is this is just part one. This is like a 30 to 40 hour game. And then part two was what happens after the, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but what happens after. Yeah, that's what's going on. We're going to see exactly what that entails. I'm really excited to keep seeing what happens. Which you have to buy that next thing. It's like a whole other game. It's remake part two. See, I guess that's something I'm going to have to look more into because I'm not 100% sure. Even if that is the case, though, you can still justify the price tag. I'm having so much fun with the game. And even if you do have to, you know, once they release part two a year from now or anything, you can still justify that $60 price tag. Oh, yeah. Even if this is broken up into two separate $60 games you have to purchase, you're going to put enough hours into both of those that you can justify that $60 price tag. And even if you can't, this is going to go down to $40 in like a couple months anyway, like it always does. And hell, if you wait even longer than that, you can pick it up for probably 20 soon enough. So those are kind of my final thoughts. So what would you give this game at a as a score at a 10? This is a challenge because I didn't know how I was going to feel with it being a two part game that you're going to have to buy separately. But now that I really feel you get your money's worth for what you get out of each of those parts, I'm going to give it a 9.2, Ooh. a 9.2 out of 10. I think it is very deserving of that. In fact, I am already calling this a contender for game of the year. Wow. Contender for game of the year and for soundtrack and music audio of the year at the Game Awards at the end of the year. I'm calling that now. Calling it right now. Predictions have been made. I don't think it's going to win Game of the Year. That depends on how good The Last of Us 2 does because that's already got the hype attached, but I can already tell that this game is going to be a contender for a lot of different awards at the ceremony at the end of this year. So, Well, we had a lot of high-scoring games this week. Yeah, we really did. It's been a good week for us, boys. Heck yeah. Next, yeah. next time we do this, remember what I said earlier, I might play a shitty game that I hate just to, <laughs> <laughs> just to level it out. This is the crappiest game ever. I cannot unendorse this more. And Zach would still give it an 8.7 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're looking for crappy games, I recommend Alone in the Dark. What's that? It's a really crappy, realistic survival horror that received one of the lowest scores any critics have ever given. You have piqued my interest, sir. I am going to talk to you later about that. Check it out for next week. I guarantee you will be disappointed. My, my eyes are killing me. You guys want to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think we have covered everything that we needed to cover in this episode. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Game Tea Podcast, and we will see you on Monday. Stay safe and healthy. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Game Tea Podcast. If you liked what you heard, why not follow us on social media? You can find us on Twitter at the Game Tea Podcast X. You can find us on Facebook at the Game Tea Podcast. And you can find us on Instagram at the Game Tea Podcast.